passages this morning. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2 and also Romans chapter 5. We're going to look in both of these. You want to hold your place in both of these. We're going to go back and forth a little bit. Jonathan was just alluding to the drive through and uh, let me just tell you a little bit of things you may not know about the drive through We've been doing this since 1997, and uh, it's been a while. Uh, we don't do it every year. Uh, there's been some years where we've done it every other year, and then some years where we've taken breaks as much as four years. The last time we did it was 2012, and again, we we're going to do it this year. And I just want to let you know that... Um, this will be the last time we do the drive-through in the capacity that we do it now. Uh, we have actually had a church in Gaffney contact us saying that they would be very interested in doing it there in Gaffney. And uh, they will actually be taking everything with the drive-through, the container and everything, to, to take this unique presentation uh, to Gaffney, and we're thrilled about that. And uh, so I just want to let you know, this is your last chance to be involved in it. And uh, as Jonathan said, we need about 15 men to step up. Every year it's kind of this way because uh, the cast does need a lot of men. Uh, we can't help that the Bible is, is about disciples. They were men, and centurions were men, and all that. And we've actually, in, in years past, have had some of our um, uh, young ladies uh, put on beards. I think you might have saw a picture of one. Uh, we don't prefer to do that, by the way, but uh, we would like to have some of you men really step up in that. So if we could help, uh, you could, if you could help, please let us know. All right. Well, look at the introduction there on your outline. In this passage today, Paul has given us the history of how sin and death came into this world. And then contrasting it with how grace and life came into this world. Therefore, the royal invitation, and that's what we've entitled this whole series, is to leave the reality of sin and death and enter into the reality of grace and life provided by Jesus Christ. And really, when you look at the whole probably 12 chapters, the first 12 chapters of Romans, that is the invitation. That is what Paul is alluding to. That's what he's pointing us to. And so this morning, we're going to look at the problem of sin solved by grace. Now, I'm going to go ahead and put you at ease. Uh, this will be a two-part sermon. I determined that this morning when I was looking back over my notes, I discovered that I have way too much material for one sermon, okay? So I'm going to give you a break today. We're going to cover some of it today, and then we'll allude to the second half of this uh, outline next week, okay? So don't, don't get paranoid if I'm moving too slowly, okay? All right? Now, look at some of the questions we're going to be looking at uh, as it relates to this passage. Why is there sin in the world? Now, for some of you who've grown up in church, maybe you've always known that. But for a lot of us, I don't know that we've taken the time to think, well, how did we get into this condition? Why is it that it, sin seems to be so natural? Why, why is it that we see it everywhere in ways that lead to evil and wickedness? Another question we're going to look at is why do people die? The passage is going to tell us. Why does human nature never change? Apart from Christ, it never, it never has and never will. And then fourthly, what is the solution to sin and death? And so those are the four passages, those are the four questions he's going to look at in this passage. Now, I want you to go back with me to September 11th, 2001. How many of you remember that day? How many of you remember where you were when you heard what was going down that morning? I mean, it's one of those things will, that will forever be etched in our minds. We will always think about 
what that day was like. Now, some of you may uh, not have been born during that time, but trust me, it was a tough time for America. It was, it was horrifying what we saw. I want you to think about it. Uh, those Twin Towers, the World Trade Center, people by the thousands were running away from the towers in pursuit of safety. Photo- photographs and video of, a horrify- of horrified faces forever ske- etched in our minds as they ran down the streets of New York City. The once strong and sturdy towers were no longer safe, so people ran from them. Think about it. The most expensive piece of real estate in America proved to be a place of uncertainty and death from which people ran fearfully. Do you, do you remember the images? How many, how many of you were, it just shocked you to see planes going into those buildings? And then seeing people run from, the, from the, the plume of smoke as they were trying to escape. and I mean, it was horrifying. Everything that you touched about that whole scene, the evil that was perpetrated as it led to that whole uh, scene. I mean, everything around it, surrounded it was suffering. And, and think about it, uh, evil, wickedness, and even death. Yet the Bible reminds us that God is an unfailing tower to which we can always run into away from the things that they ran away from when it came to those towers. In Proverbs 18.10, we read the opposite of the scene that I just described. It says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs to it and are safe. This morning, what I want to try to do this morning and next week is, is I want you to understand that there's two pivotal characters in Scripture as it relates to all of human history. There's Adam, which we're going to discuss today, and he's going to represent what I think the Twin Towers represented, evil, destruction, and death. And then there's another tower. It's the one that God has provided for us. And, of course, his name is Jesus. And if you were to say, okay, give me two key people in the history of mankind in which everything seemed to pivot around who they were, the Bible says they would be, and I agree with this, I think many of you would agree with it, it would be Adam and it would be Jesus. And Paul tells us, that's exactly the two most pivotal people in all the world who's ever lived were those two people. And that's what he's going to share with us this morning. So look on your outline. The problem of sin is stated in Adam. And the first thing we see there is the presentation of sin. So look at Romans chapter 5. Look at verse 12. It says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world. Now, some of you men are probably sitting there and you're probably thinking to yourself, Well, wait a second. Wasn't it Eve? No, Adam was held responsible for this one. We may blame it on Eve. We may say if she wasn't out doing what she was doing, but, but it's Adam that the Bible says is the one that opened the door to allow sin to come into this world. So, so th- this is the answer to the question, why is there sin in the world? Now think about this. Adam had been created in the very image of God. The Bible tells us that. He had been placed in a perfect environment with a perfect companion. He was the master of a perfect world. There was only one restriction on Adam. He was forbidden to eat the fruit of one tree, one tree in the midst of the garden. In Genesis chapter 2, if you want to look there, just flip over if you've turned there. Verse 15 says this. Then the Lord God took the man 
He put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. Now, when you look at verse 15, what you're reading is the plan of God for man. God created him. He took him, put him in the garden, and he said, tend and take care of it. Keep it. That means you have responsibility. And so God was working out his plan. And then he said this, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may eat freely, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, it could, do you think it could get any plainer than that? First of all, God tells them the plan. He says, this is the plan that I have for you. This is the perfection I've provided for you. Um, by the way, there's something that's not noted here, but guess what? God, it says basically that God came each day to commune with this man named Adam. Now, think about that. Can you think of a more perfect place? And yet, that's where he is. But he said, there's one stipulation. The penalty for eating from this tree was death. You would think that Adam would be content in the perfect paradise. But the Bible tells us that Adam broke the one law that God had given him. Now, here's what it did. How many of you ever heard of Pandora's box? It was like Pandora's box. Once sin entered the world, paradise was lost. I mean, it unleashed many things. Adam blew it. He spoiled the world for us. Sin entered the world because of Adam. Now think of this, Paul does not discuss the origin of sin, which really started with the enemy himself, Satan. He just shows us how this, this, this wickedness entered into the world through one man. Now, it, now here's what you need to understand about sin and evil. It didn't begin with Adam. It began with the enemy, Satan himself, the one who led worship in heaven. Okay, so you worship leaders, y'all think about that. Okay, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, but, but him started right there. And so what, what Paul was doing, he's not carrying us all the way back to that scene. He's carrying us back to when it entered this world, when it started to affect us. And, of course, we know that it did. How else do you explain the evil and wickedness we see all around us? The first part, now what he's doing here in verse 12, Paul is giving us the first part of what is called the doctrine of original sin. And it's a very heavy, detailed doctrine. And it basically says that sin became to it came to rest in one man. And from that man, it was spread to all. But it all started in the capacity of original sin in Adam. Look at verse 12 again. Therefore, just as through one man, sin entered the world. Now, let's move on. The presentation of sin led to the penalty of sin. Did you know that every time sin is presented and it is embraced, there's a penalty associated with it? James tells us that. Several places in Scripture tells us that. Romans is going to tell us that. And so I want you to see what's happening here. So look at Romans chapter 5. Look at the second part. It says, And death through sin, and thus death spread to all men. Now think about the whole idea of original sin and what it did. It came in through one man. He sinned, he plunged mankind into sin, but there was a penalty associated with sin, and it was death. Sin and death came to man. This is the answer to the question, why do people die? 
You see, there are two diabolical twins that are introduced that day in the, gar- in the garden. Sin and death. One goes with the other. When you see one, you automatically see the other. Death is a direct result and penalty of sin. And the Bible says that way. The Bible says for the wages, you could say for the penalty of sin, is death. It comes with it. Sin and then death. But really, what is death? Have you ever thought about what death really is? I think some of us would say, oh, well, death is when the heart stops beating, when a person starts uh, uh, breathing on his own. Uh, uh, That's the picture of death, when there's no brain activity. I mean, we have all these ideas. But you know what? Death, the ultimate meaning of death is really this, separation, separation. It's much deeper than a heart that stops beating. It's much deeper than that. You see, we're talking about separation from the Creator. We're talking about separation from the life the Creator intended. We're talking about separation from those that we've loved and we've built all these relationships in. And so if you were to say, okay, what is death? What is the capacity of death? What does it represent? It represents separation. It's much more than a heart that stops beating. And so look on your outline. The penalty of sin brings about three deaths. It's not just one. There's three associated with it that we find in Scripture. And the first one is physical death. There's a physical death. This is the one that we see so clearly in the world in which we live. And so here's what we need to understand. It's universal that we all die. The Bible says it this way. It is appointed unto man once to die. And then what does it say? After that, the judgment. You see, there was no physical death in the world Until Adam sinned. Theoretically, here's what you need to understand. Adam would have never died if he had not sinned. Sin brings about death. The Bible says that death came because of that sin. Now, physical death, when the body dies, not only brings about suffering, it brings about what we discussed just a moment ago. It also brings about a separation from the body and from others. Now, back in Genesis chapter 2, God had said this. Here's what he said. Do you remember? Once you eat of this tree, you will die. You will die. Now, let's look at Genesis chapter 3. I hope you haven't turned away. Turn back to Genesis chapter 3. I want us to look at this in its context. Look at verse 1. We're going to read a little bit in this chapter. It says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. Now, the first thing I want you to note in verse 1 so far is this. The serpent we know is really who? It's Satan. It's the enemy himself. He's entered into the serpent. Now, here's one thing that that, that you may have not considered. Isn't it interesting that the serpent, uh, excuse me, that Satan used something that God created to create what he did? How many of you have ever thought about that? He, He didn't just show up. He used something that God had created To bring about the possibility of sin and destruction and death. And so he says that. And it says, And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Now let me ask you this. For those who who read a while ago with me, Is that what he said? No, you, you you can eat of all the trees. Except for the one in the midst of the garden. The, the tree of knowledge, good and evil. So, so first of all, when the enemy shows up, what can you count on him doing? Speaking lies. 
exaggerations. And we need to understand that the Bible says Jesus himself said what? He is the father of lies. There is no truth in him. And so here's what you see. You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent. It's interesting. She knew how to correct him to a certain degree. He said, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. There are several things about this that's interesting. She did correct the enemy and say, no, it's just this one tree. But here's what's interesting. The, the, the Bible does not say that God said you can't touch it. Okay? It doesn't say that. It says that when you eat of this, you shall surely die. Now, here's what I envision happened. I, I believe this story happened when, when Adam was here. And maybe he was teaching his wife, and he went to her and said, hey, hey, maybe he gave her a tour of the garden, okay? And walked over there and said, see that tree over there? Let me just tell you about that tree over there. We can't eat of that tree over there. All these other trees, we can enjoy everything God's provided here. That one over there, we, we, we can't do that. We can't eat of that. Matter of fact, why don't you, don't even touch it. Don't even go there. <laughs> now, think about that. Now, when you tell somebody to do that, what do they normally do? Well, let's go see what this tree is all about. <laughs> and, and no doubt, that's probably what was going on. And so, and so you see what everything that's surrounding this so far has been confusion. Now, let me tell you one thing about the enemy. He's not only the father of lies, he's the father of confusion. A lot of people get in trouble because of confusion as much as they do whether it's right or wrong and what's in the midst of it. And so therefore, we as parents, let me just tell you this, and grandparents, we, hopefully you grandparents have an ability to speak into the lives of your grandchildren. But here's what you need to understand. That's the reason we need to help our children understand clearly what God's Word says. Because guess what? It's not going to be a serpent that comes to them and confuses them. Guess what? There's whole peer groups out there. There's, there's, there's teachers. There's professors in universities. There's, there's all kinds of people wanting to speak into the lives of your children. And we need to understand that can be very dangerous. We see some things right here. Look at verse 4. Then the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die. What was he doing? He was creating doubt. He was creating confusion in her. So here's what we need to learn as parents. We need to be careful who we let speak into the lives of our children. We need to watch the TV, the internet, the things that are out there that can speak into it. We just need to be aware. We need to understand. Then he says this. Here it is. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, now, look at what Satan's doing. For God knows in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you'll be like God, knowing good from e and evil. So, so the enemy carried her from doubting God's word to doubting God himself. You see, there's, there, there's two things there. Doubting God's word, doubting God himself. Not only that, and this is where many people fall into the trap of temptation through sin. Not only that, here's what happened. God's keeping something from you. He's keeping something from you. You know, that, that, that's another whole broad door that leads to sin so many times. Curiosity and thinking and wondering. Well, why, what's so, why? I need to go experience that. I need to see that for myself. That's what the world would say. 
And so he says these things. So, so, so then it goes on in verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. Look at the process in verse 6. She went. She gazed upon it. She allowed someone to come along, talk her into what was going on. Now, now here's what we do know about this scene. It wasn't like the serpent was out there on the other side of the garden saying, hey, let's take a trip. Let's go to the, let's go, uh, knows how I did that. Let's go, <laughs> I think at that time we might have walked. But anyway, let's go to the uh, center of the garden. I want to show you something. Do we read anything like that? No. You know what it seems to allude to? She wound up standing there and then the serpent himself, the enemy, came to her while she was there. Isn't it amazing how close we want to get to things? Our curiosity, our fleshly nature. It's almost like she wanted to get as close as she could. I mean, she was curious. She wanted to know. And then all of a sudden, she started falling into the trap. The problem with many of us is we want to see how close we can get without actually falling into it. But, that heart, but almost every time when we get too close, guess what? We fall into it. We have to learn to stay away, stay back. And so all of a sudden, things are changing. And then it says in the latter part of verse 6, she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Did you know the New Testament comes along later and tells us that Eve was deceived, but Adam willingly took of the fruit? Isn't that interesting? That's like commentary as to what's going on here. Eve was deceived. Even when you're deceived, did you know that you'll still suffer the consequences of sin? She was deceived, but Adam willingly took of it. Now, there's all kinds of things that could be around this, but I want you to look at verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they, had, that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Now, isn't that inter interesting? That was never a problem before. I mean, there was such an innocence about them. And that's what sin does. When sin comes in, there's the guilt. There's the shame that's associated with it. That is a picture. Verse 7 is a picture of what shame does to us and guilt does to us. All of a sudden, the only thing that we can focus on are those things that we partake of. And, 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 and our, our, our whole being starts to center around it. And for some people, it stays there so long, their identity becomes a part of what they did and the guilt and the shame that came of it. Verse 8, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Probably the time he came each day normally. And Adam and his wife, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Abram, excuse me, Adam, and said to him, where are you? Now let me ask you a question. Do you think God knew where they were? What was that question more directed about? It was basically, Adam, where are you? Where are you? Do you think it might have been more than a physical presence of where you are? I think it was more of where are you? <laughs> have, have you gone away? Have you, have you done what I think you've done? Which he knew. So he said, Adam said this, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Up to that point, we'd read nowhere where Adam had ever been afraid of God. That he willingly probably enjoyed the communion, the fellowship. He probably each day could not wait. 
to hear God wrestling through the garden and saying, Hey, hey, God, how's it going? Let me tell you what I learned today. Let me tell you this. Let me tell you that. But all of a sudden, sin had changed everything. Sin had changed everything. Think about it. Being in the most beautiful place, the most perfect place, the place that God had placed you. You're doing what he's called you to do. You've been doing that. And we don't know how long they were in the garden before this sin took place. They could have been there hundreds of years, thousands. Who knows how long they were there? But the point is, they sinned. They sinned and everything changed, including their relationship with God. Have you ever, you ever been in sin, bound in sin so much? You didn't want to pick up God's word. You didn't want to show up at church. You didn't want to have anything to do with God. You turn, used to be, you used to listen to 106.9 .9 or whatever the Christian stations are, but now you're kind of over in other areas because you just, it's like Adam. You hide yourself. Listen, listen, that, that's what sin did. That's what it's caused. That's, that's the reason we're in the condition we're in. And, and then it goes on. And God said this. Verse 11, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded that you should not eat? Again, do you think God already knew? Yeah, you know what he was doing? He was trying to help Adam come to terms to, to confess that he did exactly what he knew he had done. And so he's getting him to that point. And, and of course, God knows that that's the only way restoration could come. And so he's getting to that point. Then the man said... This is typical, isn't it? The woman whom you gave to me to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. Blaming the woman. But what does the New Testament give us as far as commentary? Eve was deceived, but Adam willingly ate of the tree. He, he wasn't deceived. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? This is typical. And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Everybody's passing the buck. No one wanted to stand and take responsibility for what had been done. Isn't it interesting that they tried to cover their sin by sewing fig leaves together? Did you notice that? That's how they tried to hide their shame and their guilt. Do you know what's going to happen later on in the chapter? God's going to have to make provision for them, for this sin that has taken place. And so here's what happens. He, he, of course, we know he sends them out of the garden because they had to get away from that tree. I mean, if they can't, from the things that are there, there was another tree in there. The tree of life was in there. And, and, and they could have lived forever in the condition of sinful man. Let me ask you this. Do you want to live forever in the condition that we're in right now? I don't. Now, some of you in your teens and 20s, yeah, yeah, good for you. But anyway, we don't. Because <laughs> everything seems, but anyway, it's a whole different scene. And you know what God had to do? God had to go kill some animals. There had to be a sacrifice. There had to be death for the sacrifice. That's that's God's economy of how He deals with sin. And and those animals had to die on behalf of Adam and Eve. Let me ask you a question: Do you think that that God possibly allowed them to watch what took place? Now, I want you to think about this. They're in the garden, perfect place. He, Adam's responsible for tending to the animals, to take care of the garden, to name the animals. I mean, there was a, there was a, there was a bond between them and the animals. Now, I'm not trying to make it into what we've made it. You understand what I'm trying to say, right? And all of a sudden, the bond that he wants, all of a sudden, God is killing 
something. They'd never seen this before. You see, we read it and we think, oh man, that's terrible. Those animals had to die. This would have been horrifying to them. All of a sudden, he's cutting up these animals and and skinning them. And and all of a sudden, the the clothes are there and all these things are happening. It It would have horrified them as to what had just taken place. But you know what was even more horrifying? They had to leave the garden. Had to leave the garden. Everything at that moment changed. What Adam set in motion still affects us here today. Let me, let's go on. Now, here's what I want you to understand about the story. Did Adam die immediately? No, it says if you eat of the tree, you shall die. He didn't die immediately. He lived for several hundred years. We know that. God was talking about the second kind of death. Look on your outline, that spiritual death. This is much more serious than a physical death. The, this death is a major consequence of sin. When Adam sinned, something died inside of him. From that point on, listen, all of us were born spiritually dead. What he set in motion was not only that sin would pass from generation to generation, but we would also be born spiritually dead. That's part of the whole idea of original sin. And so this is why Jesus came and said this, I've come that you might have life. You do not need life if you already have it. His purpose in coming was to restore, to bring us spiritual life. And that's what he was restoring here. Now, the third kind of death, eternal death. When you take physical death plus spiritual death, it equals eternal death. Now, in in Romans chapter 6, this is what Paul meant. He's speaking of this here. For the wages of sin is death. He doesn't specify physical, spiritual, or eternal. It's the whole thing. It's all of it. It's death. It's separation. Verse 12. Let's look at it again. The latter part. And thus death spread to all men because all sinned. What Paul is talking about here is the second part of the doctrine of original sin. This answers the question, why does human nature never change? Because of this infection of sin, listen, we are born with a natural tendency to sin. This is clearly evident in the lives of little children. And I've shared this with you. I don't know how many times, but it's the best example I can give you. How many of you realize you have to teach your children how to dress, how to behave, brush their teeth, take a bath, tie their shoes? You have to teach them all these things. However, and I've said this many times, children never have to be taught to sin. Have you noticed that? You never have to teach them that. It's natural. They are born with a tendency towards sin. Here's here's what you need to understand. People do not become sinners because they commit sin. People sin because they are sinners. They were born that way. Born that way. And so when someone tells you that, that they were born a certain way and it's sin, you kind of can believe them. You can. Because we're born with that disposition. We're born with that tendency. Ray Stedman writes in his book, the title of the book is From Guilt to Glory. And he's showing us how we can get to the point of glory of what God intends for us. But he says something that you may find shocking, but deep down you know is true. Listen to what he says. Every baby starts life 
as a little savage. He is completely selfish and self-centered. He wants what he wants when he wants it. His bottle, his mother's attentions, his playmate's toy. Deny him these wants and he seethes with rage and aggressiveness, which would be murderous if he were not so helpless. How many of you ever seen that? It's true. If it wasn't so helpless, there's no telling what they would do. He has no morals. This means that all children, not just certain children, are born delinquent. If permitted to continue in the self-centered world of his infancy, given free reign to his impulsive actions to satisfy his wants, every child would grow up, this is horrifying, as a criminal, a thief, and even possibly a killer or a rapist. Think about that. Where does it all begin? It's not something that happens later in their life and all of a sudden it's cut on. We're born with this disposition to create all kinds of evil and all kinds of wickedness. It's all right there. Our propensity to sin started way back with Adam in the Garden of Eden. In fact, there's no sin that is beyond the realm of possibility for us. Now think about this. Could you murder? A lot of you are sitting here saying, I could never do that. If the circumstances were right, you might. Could you commit adultery? Some of you possibly thought about it this past week. Could you steal if necessary? Could you tell a lie? Many of us would say, certainly. The bottom line is that humans all have the potential to do great evil. There is no good, listen, apart from Christ in any of us. This is the reality and the penalty of sin. Next, I want you to see the power of sin. Look at Romans uh, 5, 13. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned, according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. Now, let me just say this. I've, I've just recognized where we are with time. I'm not going to have time to explain all of 13 and 14, but we'll come back to it next week. It's a very hard passage, and I need a little time to explain it to you. But here's what I want you to understand. The latter part of this, it says, according, verse 14, according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. Do you know who that's re- referring to? That's re- referring to Jesus Christ. The strong tower. The one that God has provided. But here's what I want you to understand. James 1 says this. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. But here's the good news. Look on your outline real quick. The problem of sin is solved in Jesus. If you were to look back again at verse 14, according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is the type who is to come, Paul is talking about the latter part, Jesus Christ. Now, how is Adam like Jesus Christ? Here it is. Adam blew it for the human race, whereas Jesus saved the human race. Both, both are pivotal characters in history. Both bring things that we live with. Listen. Every day. 
In chapter 5 of Romans, Paul was convincing us that salvation is a result, listen, of a single act. Jesus dying on the cross. Look at verse 1 of chapter 5. We were justified through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what justified means? We were made right before God. Verse 6. Christ died for the ungodly. That's where we were before we came to Him. Verse 8. Justified, made right by His blood. He gave Himself for us. Verse 9. Here it is. Made right, justified in His blood. Verse 10. We're reconciled through His death. Verse 11. We receive reconciliation. Here's what it means. We were enemies of God because of our sin, because of our nature, and because God can't look upon sin, he is just, but he's also holy. And yet on the other side of it is this, God made provision through Jesus Christ that we didn't that we no longer have to live under the the natural tendencies that have been given to us by Adam. We can be more than conquerors. We can overcome We don't have to be bound into that life. God has provided a way through his son Jesus. And guess what? It means that we don't have to experience spiritual death any longer, any uh, eternal death that he's provided a way for us. I want to ask you, if you will, to stand to your feet, please. If you will, bow your heads. Father, we just come to you right now. We just thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his provision of salvation. And Father, I think that many of us in this room, we probably have known a lot of what we discussed here today. Maybe we've known it for a long time. But Father, maybe there's someone here today that's just coming to terms with, with this whole idea of sin and where it leads. Father, for the person that's never gave their life to you, Lord, I pray today they would be awakened to, to what you've provided. A way out of this sin and death, that separation, that, that guilt, that shame. It's all been translated into one. His name is Jesus. And all of a sudden, he's able to take that on for us. Fathers, we'll see next week that you not only provided a way to deal with our sin and our death, but, Father, the wrath that's due us, Lord, you you took that on yourself. Father, we praise you for that. So if there's someone here today, Lord, who's never received you on your terms by repentance and turning away from their old life and embracing the grace that you've put forth through your son Jesus... Father, I pray today would be the day to give their life to you. Father, if there's someone here today that maybe just needs a a fresh awareness of who you are, maybe they need someone to pray with them or get around this altar, Lord, that they would just come and realize what's at stake when it comes to their life and what you intend for them. Father, I pray you'll give them that, Lord. Father, if there's someone here today that believes this is the church home you called on to be a part of, we welcome also. We thank you for what you're going to do. Have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know what your need is.